Good morning. Let me welcome you to your seats. Good to see you today. Thank you for being here. We've been working through a three-part relationship series. So we did uh, quite a few weeks in Colossians chapter 3. And then we had Palm Sunday, Easter Sunday, Baptism Sunday, which was wonderful. And now we're working through a three-part installment number three of a three-part relationship series that we're calling Getting Along God's Way. Getting Along God's Way. Now, there is a, a, a proverb that says, when you're bumped, what you're filled with spills out. When you're bumped, the basket that you're carrying, when you're bumped, what you're filled with spills out. The Bible might say that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Keep that in mind. Colossians chapter 3, I'm reading out of the message, verses 18 down into chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going to read the entirety of this three-part series right here because it's been two verses at a time comparing husbands and wives, parents and children, and then today, slaves and masters. Verse 18. Wives, understand and support your husbands by submitting to them in ways that honor the master. Husbands, Go all out in love for your wives. Don't take advantage of them. Children, do what your parents tell you. This delights the master to no end. Parents, don't come down too hard on your children or you'll crush their spirits. Servants, do what you're told by your earthly masters. Don't just do the minimum. It will get you by. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master, for God. Confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. Chapter 4, verse 1. And masters, treat your servants considerately. Be fair with them. Don't forget for a minute that you too serve a master, God in heaven. A lot of times I talk about parenting with people and boundaries. I teach a boundaries class every once in a while. And in that boundaries class, we'll talk about someone else's agenda, your agenda, what you're trying to accomplish, what they might be wanting you to be a part of. A lot of times we talk about it in the context of sobriety and, and boundaries such as that. But what's very interesting to me is when we talk about uh, engaging and conflict and fighting and, you know, like, that's enough and here, here we go and let's take it outside, that kind of stuff. People walk into that space. I ask them, I say, so, so your kids in school, what do you tell them when someone says something to them, calls them a name or, you know, something degrading or unkind? What do you, what do you say to them? And the parents, the parents tell me from the seats, you know, they say, oh, well, we tell them, like, you know, hey, if they call you something, just be the bigger person be the bigger man, be the bigger girl, walk away, be the bigger woman, walk, like walk away. If they say, they can be chasing you, hollering at you, the whole thing, just, just, just walk away. And I said, how about if they push them? Now, if they put their hands on you, you whip them down right now like it's that, right? Every single time, every single time, <laughs> every single time. So I can call you names, I can call you all kinds of things, and our parents taught us, walk away. 
if they touch you, it's like throw stuff down and there we go. Did anything touch you out of that reading? Anything make you uncomfortable? Wives, husbands, children, parents, slaves, masters. It's been a pretty good chapter so far. And now we round it out with slaves, masters. Anything strike you there? What I've been saying over the last several weeks is that this is not about our rights. These messages are about our role. The role that we play, not the rights that we have. I want to point out in these verses kind of the order. You may have seen it already. If you have a Bible, I'd welcome you to open it up, kind of track with me or on your phone or something. Colossians chapter 3, again, verse 18 in the message. You've got a verse for wives and a verse for husbands. You've got a verse for children and a verse for parents. And then you have four verses addressing servants or slaves and a couple of verses, actually just one verse, several sentences, addressing masters. So it's addressing wives, addressing husbands, addressing children, addressing parents, addressing slaves, addressing masters. There's a particular consistent order in how this is authored. We could call it people of advantage, people of disadvantage. The Bible actually refers to women as weaker. That ought to touch you. (laughs) Something ought to spill out. Weaker. And we understand, we're trying to figure out what's the context of all of this. What is Paul trying to say? But it's not happen chance. Let's say those with less advantage. Clearly in this culture, a woman would have far less advantage. A man would give up his wife before he would give up his cattle. Crazy to us. Like just offensive. If we didn't know it was historic, we'd be just like, and it's it's still, still probably offensive. So you've got initially those with less advantage, less Strength, less opportunity. And the next verse is the one that has the advantage in that relationship. The husband had the advantage over the wife. It was a power advantage, in in fact. He could just say, we're divorced, and we're divorced. Accusations could be made, and lives could be ended. It's pretty intense. With parents and children. I mean, some of us even say that today. I might have even said that to my strapping 14-year-old. Son, there will be a day that you can take me, but today is not that day. (laughs) So, So there are power differentials, and certainly between master and slave, but it was wife, husband, child, parent, slave, master, set up in a particular order, a consistency of order for power structure, for advantage, lack of advantage. But what happens for 
the wife, the child, the servant, all of them, if you look closely into these passages, it's not that hard. Look for the capital M. Look for master with a capital M. All three, all three of these parties, the, we'll just say the weaker if you'd allow me to say that. The wife, the child, the slave, the one in a position of disadvantage, the one with less power, less opportunity. All three are called to surrender and submit as unto the master. Not even wife to husband, child to parent, slave to master. But it says, submitting to them in ways that honor the master, verse 18. Verse 20, this delights the master to no end. Verse 22 and 23, do your best, work from the heart for your real master for God. This is a call to submission. It's called a surrender. Now, of the couplet, of the dual verses, 2-4 and then 4-1, like the second and the fourth and then the chapter 4 verse 1 verses, to the husbands, the parents, and the master, physical master, lowercase m, they're all called to not take advantage. Not take advantage of the power differential. Not take advantage of the cultural differential. Not take advantage of the strength differential. Don't forget for a minute that you too, it says, chapter 4, verse 1. To the masters, don't forget for how long? Don't forget for a minute. Can you not hear that being said? Like, hey, you could take advantage, but don't forget for a minute that you too serve a master, God, in heaven. So it's very interesting as these play out and we look at them, it's very, very interesting to me to see that we're all actually called to the same thing. To the same thing. Called to surrender to the master. Called to submission. When we were doing the first verses in chapter 3, we were talking about a new life. You can look it up on Christway.net, the podcast. You can look it all up. It's a new life and his identity and his and on and on, different things like that. And then we go on to this and we're surrendering. This is part of new life. Part of new life is surrender and submission to God. And what is equal? It's kind of like tithing. Tithing is a 10% command. A 10% command. So if you make $10,000, you tithe 10%. That's 1000 If I make $10, I tithe $1. That's 10%. The percentage is what makes it equal. The percentage is what makes it even. This is where it's even. The leaning into the Lord for surrender. The leaning into the Lord to understand that whatever position I find myself in, wherever I find myself, what is the driver? Surrender unto the Lord. Surrender unto the Lord. Let's take a, 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 a mama. In the first two, 
the mama is at less advantage. In the next two, parent and child, the mama moves into the greater advantage category. You know what happens when you're the alpha baboon? You beat the mess out of the beta baboon. But do you know who the beta baboon beats up? Whatever Zulu is, whatever the low guy is. That poor brother. He gets beat down. It's true. Watch Discovery. (laughs) Joe is the alpha, and I'm the beta. And Joe just pushes me around and knocks me away. I try to get something to eat. He kicks me. He hits me, pushes me away, and I can't take him. And I have all this frustration, power differential. But then I go over here to Brian. We know I can't take Brian either, but for sake of example. (laughs) I come over here to Brian, and I make his life miserable. Because I'm on the short end of this stick, I feel empowered. Are you hearing me? To make someone else's life miserable. But that's not the life that we're called to. You see, now the whole chapter is making some sense, isn't it? We're called to a new life. Always surrender. Now, frankly, when I was looking at this and realizing, man, maybe we should stop. (laughs) Maybe we should stop at, like, verse 17. That didn't feel authentic to me. It didn't feel responsible. It didn't feel responsible to not talk about relationships between spouses and parents and children and then this slave master thing. It just didn't feel responsible to skip over the hard stuff. But see, in our context, we see the tragedies and the horror of slavery in this particular country. But in this time, And we're going to read something in a few moments that might just blow your mind. We read out of the Old Testament. But in this time, the Romans, I read read one entry that said, of the entire Roman Empire, the entire Roman Empire, one-third of the empire were slaves. One-third of the empire had been slaves. And one-third had never in slavery. Two-thirds of the empire were in slavery. Now, we might think that it's a skin color thing. Not then it wasn't. Not at all. In fact, I could be a slave to Lawrence, and Lawrence could be a slave to Wren, and we all live in the same place. We all live in the same town. We could go to high school together. That's the way that was. It wasn't so much ethnicity and culture. Now, there were people that were taken over, for sure. But there were folks within the very culture that were servants and slaves to those in their culture. And they speak to it. It is so common. It is so normal. It makes the Bible. Now, I can hear you saying it, maybe, a couple of us in here. I ain't slave to nobody. Well... Okay, would you like me to help you with that, or do you just want to keep that thought the rest of the day? You know what Jesus says? He says, you're either a slave 
to God or mammon. No man has two masters, he says. You're either. There wasn't a, there wasn't a, a Charlie out. There wasn't a C or a D or an E, all of the above. The choice was A or B. You will serve God or you will serve the spirit of this world. And that's how he laid it out. You serve God or you serve mammon. And when we recognize that, we can fight that all we want. You can go outside and shake your fist at the lightning and cuss at it and tell it it ain't doing nothing to you. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> okay, you can shake your fist at the ocean, tell that wave what it can go do, and it's going to sweep you away and not think about it. I think it's important that we know that Jesus told us we all serve something. Now, frankly, in our American culture, that's, that's kind of offensive, might even be repulsive, counterintuitive to how we were reared. We all serve something. And let me just offer that the quicker we figure that out, the healthier we get to be. The healthier we get to be. The calling is to serve the Lord. I wonder if Peter and Paul had something figured out that we didn't know. If you're a student of scripture, you'll know that Peter will identify himself in a book as apostle and slave. Should I have done that? Can we rewind? Can I start over? Can we? Can I, maybe I should have come up and said, hello, everyone. I'm Andy, apostle and slave. And you're like, okay, we're waiting for the punchline. Because I can come up and say that. Hi, I'm Andy, apostle and slave. An apostle is one that comes alongside people, sees giftings in them, and launches them. The father for the fatherless church. That's, that's what I do. Enslaved to Jesus Christ. I hope I am. I'm not trying to not be a slave to Jesus. Does anybody else in here make it a practice to put your two feet on the floor first thing in the morning and say, Lord, I surrender my life to you today? Anybody else? Your feet hit the floor before you stand straight up. Sometimes as my eyes open, I lay there and I say, Create in me a clean heart, O Lord. Renew a right spirit in me. Help me surrender to you today. I surrender myself. I submit myself to your calling up front. Let me be a vessel that you talk to and that you utilize whenever you want. Help me be faithful. Empower me by your spirit. I know I'm not the only one that does that. That is an understanding of surrender. That's an understanding when Paul would get up and say, I am Paul, an apostle and a servant. I am Peter, an apostle and a slave. And it is a slavery that I welcome. It is a slavery that I fall into. For Chip and Emma, for my kids, Aunt Tracy is Aunt Tracy for them. Tracy Alexander. She's a black woman in Maryland, Annapolis. She and our colleagues. Years ago, we taught school together. Wonderful friends. Our family was involved in Tracy having an amazing God conversion. Baptized her in a pool outside. Just a, just a beautiful story, and Tracy is a beautiful soul. And she sat with me 
And she said, I am having a hard, hard time with all this slavery language. To which I did not try to pontificate. I, I'm like, I, I think I can understand why you'd say that. That's not my history. I'm not going to act like I get it. I do understand. But I said, let me tell you, let me tell you how it hits me. When I make a decision to serve someone that's smarter than I am, I don't know that that's a very bad decision. When I make a decision to put my life out on the line and say, I will be a slave to you because you are better to me than I am to me, can I go a little old school and preach some of that? Like better to me than I've been to myself? Anybody else in here? We get in our own way, and he is good and forgiving, and loving, and empowering, and it's his righteousness, and he picks us up, turns me around, that whole deal, place my feet on, right? We sing about it. And in no way at all, in no way, absolutely no way, am I trying to disparage the horrors of slavery. There is a value to submission and surrender And the words that they used were servant and slave. And I told Tracy, I said, I'm not necessarily trying to convince you. I'm just telling you that what works for me is I recognize that when I try to make my own decisions, when I try to run the show myself, I don't make good decisions. And for me to bow a knee and for me to intentionally surrender my will to Jesus, intentionally take my hands off the wheel and give it to the Holy Spirit that day. Intentionally say, I have a calendar. I have meetings that are scheduled, but I want to surrender my agenda to your agenda, Lord. I just don't think that's a bad decision. In fact, I think that is an excellent way to start your day. And... I don't do that every day, but I want to. There'll be times that I get through my day, and it usually happens something like this. I'm working through my day about 1030, and someone comes in wherever I am, the office here or wherever I am, and they come in with a real problem, not a hangnail, (laughs) a real problem. And as they're talking to me about that real problem, that's when I'm like, hmm, I'd have been good if I'd surrendered this morning. And while you're talking to me, I'm not listening because I'm going, Lord, you know I need your help. Can't do this without you. Surrender to you right now. Let me tell you something else that I hope is helpful. I've been pastoring for 30 years. You can come in and give me three sentences and I probably know what's going on. I'm an addiction counselor. I've hung out with people in streets and abandoned buildings and all over the place for three decades. I can probably hear six seconds and know what's going on. But that, hear me, that's not a strength. That's a liability. Are you hearing me? That's a liability. The longer you've been living for God, when you try to do it from your experience, another thing we would call that is carnality. You do that from carnality. You try to arrive at something because you heard it and you just like, here, take two of those all set. 
you're going to miss something. And I've made enough of those mistakes that I'd like to say I don't do that anymore. I'm in a space where the longer I live for God, the more I realize I need him, not just for my salvation and righteousness and his purposes, but like to hear in a moment to minister. I don't want to be carnal. I don't want to jump the gun. I don't want to throw a Band-Aid at you. I want to be that moment where they drop the person down and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. We brought him here for something else. Yeah, 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 but this is what he needs. I want to be that guy. I want to be able to hear those things. I want to be in that space. And I don't do that by myself. In fact, I'm just on a road to mess that up if that's the way I do it. Recognizing that I am a servant to Jesus Christ. Recognizing that I can say I want to be a slave to this gospel does not diminish who I am, nor does it diminish whose I am. I belong to him. I surrender. It's going to be 32 years. Melinda and I got married. Grateful she's hung around. I've needed someone to boss around. I've needed someone to tell what to do, and when I get frustrated, somebody to yell at, and she's been a blessing. <laughs> the way this is supposed to go is my life gets lost in her. We become one. Identity is surrendered. I want to surrender myself to the Lord. In Exodus chapter 21, you're welcome to go there with me. Some of you might realize that Exodus chapter 20, anybody know Exodus chapter 20? It's the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20 is the Ten Commandments. And moving into Exodus chapter 21, I mean, like, here are the Ten Commandments. And now, chapter 21, verse 1. These are the laws that you're to place before them. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he will serve six years. You catch it? Don't let that go past. This was written to the Philistines, right? No, no, this was written to the Hebrews. When you are a Hebrew and you buy a Hebrew slave, I mentioned it earlier, it's culturally different. Like it's completely different than even our history in this country. It was a Hebrew buying a Hebrew slave. The seventh year he goes free for nothing. If he came in single, he leaves single. If he came in married, he leaves with his wife. If the master gives him a wife, and she gave him sons and daughters. Then the wife and children stay with the master and he leaves by himself. But suppose, suppose, the slave should say, I love my master and my wife and children. I don't want my freedom. Then his master is to bring him before. Oh, what? The man that says, I don't want my freedom anymore. 
I want to serve this man the rest of my life, is brought before, doesn't this sound kind of like Colossians 3? He's brought before God. Brought before God. It would be awesome if that was Master, capital M, because that's what it said every time. The Master, our God. Brought before God into a door or doorpost and pierces ear with an awe, a sign that he is a slave for life. Deuteronomy 15. I hope it's not lost that there's a piercing and there's blood on a doorpost and there's a mark that doesn't go away. Pierced, blood shed on a doorpost and a mark that doesn't go away. And when I make that decision, I come before God. Deuteronomy 15, if a Hebrew man or Hebrew woman, once again, your kin, this is your kin, these are your people, was sold to you and has served you for six years, and the seventh year you must set him or her free Released into a free life. And when you set them free, don't send them off empty-handed. This is a little bit different than the Exodus reading. Don't send them off empty-handed. Provide them with some animals, plenty of bread and wine and oil. Load, load them. Load them with provisions from all the blessings with which God, your God, has blessed you. Don't for a minute. That sound familiar? <laughs> Don't for a minute forget that you were once slaves in Egypt and God, your God, redeemed you from that slavery. And for that reason, this day I command you to do this. If you're slave because he loves you and your family and has a good life with you, he says, I don't want to leave you. Then take an all and pierce through his earlobe into the doorpost, marking him as your slave forever. Do the same with your women slaves who want to stay with you. Master, servant. I'm so sorry for the connotations and the generations of wickedness and evil that have been perpetrated on other people. I am so sorry. It has tainted the beauty and maybe even the power for me to even accept that I can take a knee before the Lord and say, I surrender everything to you. That servant in the first seven years is called a servant, but after that, a bond servant. Bonded, a love servant. Put my ear on the doorpost and let the blood flow across that doorpost, showing forever when people see the wound in my body, they know of my love for you, my commitment to you. How about this? My trust in you. How good you've been to me. And my response to your goodness 
is surrender. My response to the advantage that you give me is not to tout my rights, not to tout my strength, not to tout the advantage, not to leverage something. My response to you is to pour it out as an offering. Everything given to me, I give back to you. It says it. Don't forget for one minute where it all came from. Let me tell you something today that I think you already know. The Lord doesn't want your ear. He wants your heart. He doesn't want your ear. He wants your heart. Surrendered. There's a song that's going to play. The lyrics will be up there. You're welcome to sing it. And it simply says over and over, you can have my heart. You can have my heart. You can have my heart. I'm going to invite you to step into that space this morning. A recognition of how good he's been. And again, with Aunt Tracy, I said, I do think I understand how it could be so hard for you. Man, it's a good decision. It's a good decision because he is a beautiful master. Play this, fellas. So what a message to give God our hearts completely. What a message for my fellow bond servant, Andy. I wanted to research my family, and my wife was doing some research on her background. Found out some things, and I've never been interested in this kind of stuff, so she convinced me, and she looked back into my family history, and she went back seven generations. And when I went back seven generations, I found Jacob Shouse. I found out that I was the fifth Arnick, and my son was the sixth. I found out that Jacob Schaus in 1815 had been a slave and made a deal with his master. And his seven children and him were able to move north, and the reason was is he wanted his three daughters to be able to attend school. So they moved north, and my great, 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 great aunts were able to attend school. Fast forward to my father, who has 16 brothers and sisters. And every one of them are professors, doctors, teachers, educators, pastors. And then you get down to me. And the question becomes, as Andy laid it out in his sermon, when you have your privilege and when God has given you so much, I'm so far removed from Jacob Shouse. What do you do with the privilege that you have? Quickly, I want to share something with you. So being the great, great, great grandson of slaves, you would think that I would struggle with that word. But when God made me not be a slave to fear anymore, 
a slave to sin, a slave to sorrow. There was no struggle to become a slave to the gospel. Yes, what you do with your privilege this week here in America where we have so much, if you want to compare us to any other country, we have everything. The poorest one of us would be rich anywhere else. I told Andy a few weeks ago, I baptized just about four weeks ago on Easter, a young lady in my church that had been practicing the Hindu religion her whole life. She just came to America last February, and she did not have the privilege of knowing who Jesus was in her country. She said in the province that she lived in, the area of the country of India, they had 300 million people and two Christian churches, and that in the Hindu religion, they had 183 million gods. I saw her twice a week. Every week, she sold me my beard oil. <laughs> and when I would see her and I would hear her accent, I judged her as not needing my gospel because she already had her God. What do you do with the privilege you have? It's not lost on me that my grandfather born in 1918, was a pastor who was the great-great-great-grandson of a slave, and women could not come in his pulpit. What do you do with your privilege when you're in the position of power? Andy has preached for three weeks. As husbands and wives, we certainly have power. I don't feel like I have power, but I know my wife does. <laughs> we certainly have power over one another. Parents to children, pick the dynamic. I have power over that six foot three guy back there. But when he was a baby and he cried, he had power over me. What do you do with your power when you have an opportunity? And last, as a boss or as a business owner or as a person who carries the gospel of Jesus, you cannot trust yourself to do the right thing with your privilege. That's why Paul wrote it. That's why Andy preached it. And that's why I, as a grandson of a slave, chose to become a slave to the gospel, to not trust myself so that when God makes a decision, who will be preached to? It's his choice. Jesus did this. And let's stand all over the building. Jesus did this. When he had the privilege to call 10,000 legions of angels, he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Thank you, Jesus. We're no longer slaves to fear, but we are constrained by this great gospel forever to serve Jesus Christ. Let's pray over that in this moment. God, I'm just asking that you give us the heart to serve you. We've gotten along in these messages with husbands and wives, with children and parents. But teach us who the master is of our lives. Teach us that it's a privilege to serve you, that you said in your word, serve the Lord with gladness. So, Lord, as we become greater servants of you and we yield ourselves to you, help us to have no struggle, though men and women sometimes do evil things. Help us to know that in your hands 
we can trust that you are the ultimate master, that you will always love us, and you know what's best for us. I help each person through that throughout this week, and we thank you for the honor it is to serve you, to be a part of this priesthood. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone have a great week. God bless you.